Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. So what did people find value, like when you were first kind of starting out, what did people find value in what you were giving? Was it just that, oh, you knew a graphic designer or a video editor that did really great work and then you could kind of bring them in? Or like, you know, what was it about what you did that was so valuable that people would want to pay? It was aspirational. It was, oh, you've sold two e-commerce business. Well, I want to build my e-commerce business Mm. and sell it. What'd you do? It was really that simple. And then we started executing and then it, we you know, transitioned that to, oh, wow, you've worked with these 20 companies. I want to be like them. Can you help me? Oh, wow, yeah. you grew these companies and they did really well. Can you help me? And now at this point, like it's been thousands of brands. It's, you know, right. it's become kind of ubiquitous, but that's how it started. So it's like almost like cr- credibility that you built up front partially by working with these other businesses. And then from there, how do you... Um, I was curious about how you... Uh, continue to add value over time because I'm thinking, you know, probably the reason a lot of those people that have those long-term contracts is they're like, hey, we know that they're not going to stick with us. Like <laughs> they're going to cancel us as soon as like there's a down month or something. So, do you provide like reports or like how do you prove like every month like, hey, we're doing adding lots of value or is that something they just kind of like? And this is where it's not as complicated as you just made it. Yes, we have to report, we have to communicate well, like that's probably more critical than even doing good work, which is also critical. Right. Um, But it's also, it's like being an employee, though slightly Mm -hmm. more uh, disposable, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So like you're not, if your email marketing's working and you don't have a reason to target it, you're not just going to fire them two months in. You don't want to do that. That's a pain. Who's going to do it then? So it's, it's you, the, when we get fired, it's because people find alternatives or want have reasons to leave. And don't get me wrong, there are also plenty of people that hire us on month to month. They're way too sold on that idea, and they like come in for a month and leave. And like, great, it's like you know, doing your opening your doors to your strong like, <laughs> like you did nothing. Congratulations, you just wasted our time and yours. But yeah. it happens. Uh, we do yeah. try to set expectations at a time for that. But other than that, no, we just you know, when we get fired, it, it's either the business is struggling or we're str- or we're not meshing well. Or some, you know, there's a bunch of other factors, but sure. it's, uh, and then a lot of people do hire us for short term because they want to try bringing certain things in house and things change. And hmm. also we are dealing with a lot of first time entrepreneurs that make really poor decisions sometimes. And we yeah. are dealing with that too. But because this is how we built our business, it, it's, it's part of the business model and we know yeah. how to work with that. Cool. So then would you say that was e-commerce kind of like your initial target because you were working on the tea company, things like that. And so was that kind of, I'd say it was less target and more network. Like most of my business for a long time was just in my network. People referring me, Oh, you should talk to these guys. Oh, you should talk to these guys. And it just started to grow from there. And yeah, I was an e-commerce leader. So they, I had a lot of peers in the space. I had a lot of friends of peers and then it just grew from there. So that was, that's always been a big part of our business because it's where we started and where I started. Yeah. So then how, you know, when you started fleshing out this idea as far as being like, all right, we are going to be 
like a marketing department for a company. You know, how did you, you know, kind of work your way into companies that maybe were more established or that already had marketing departments and, and whatnot? Obviously, if you're working with an entrepreneur or some small brand, right, they, they need all that help. But if you're working with maybe a larger brand or bigger company, you know, did, did you ever run into people feeling threatened by, you know, their boss hiring you or, yeah. or things like it, that? Generally, and it still happens. It's generally the most insecure marketing leaders are threatened by us. And when we use the, you know, the term outsource CMO, there are insecure CMOs that go, you're not taking my job. Fuck. We've had literally CMOs say, fuck you. I'm not going to talk to you guys. You're trying to take my job. <laughs> like they're that insecure. Good luck. I don't want to work with them anyways. Right. And thank God there's plenty of business out there. Mostly the vast majority understand it are, you know, understand the value of what we're talking about and are, it doesn't turn them off. And the few that do are exactly who I don't want to work with. So it's a, we debated it at times because we got a little bit of negative feedback and we're like, no, no, but that's exactly who I don't want as a client is that insecure asshole that can't right. get a, that doesn't think rationally and just goes, oh God, like that's not what you want to work with as a marketer. Right, right. So then as far as, you know, you, you started out with you and a handful of your friends, uh, you know, that you started working and, and each one of those people had maybe different skills that you didn't have so that you could kind of offer like a full package, uh, you know, to, to sell essentially. So then as you started to grow, uh, you know, what did that look like as far as, um, you know, when you'd hire or, you know, bring on a new client that maybe needed, um, you know, digital marketing and you weren't doing that, did you then go out and find somebody and hire somebody to do digital marketing for you? Or like, you know, you obviously grew from very small to a very large, you know, employee count. So, you know, how did that all? Yeah, it was super reactive. And every time we tried to get proactive is when we got fucked up. So meaning like, oh, we're probably going to get to here. So we should anticipate it and hire ahead. It was just like, no, we need this now, get it now. And so that's Mm. where we've done well. And it's, you know, we have too many email clients. We need a second one. Oh, now we have too many email clients. We need a third. Now we have too many email marketers. We need a manager. Let's promote one of them. Like it's just yeah. started. It was again, just, you know, I spend a lot of my time with other entrepreneurs and exposing myself to how businesses operate. And thankfully my business, part of our job is to learn how other businesses operate. Yeah. And you start to pull a lot from there and go, oh, okay. So this makes sense. And then again, it's about that sort of logical deduction of like, you know, hey, every time a manager exceeds seven people, they seem like their hair is on fire. So why don't we just cut it off at seven? Like if you're a manager, you get seven people or less. The moment we have eight, we need two managers. Like, let's just do that. And so hmm. those are the kind of things that we started to look at as like how many people can someone manage in, in different roles? And then, you know, and you over time, you improve, improve and tweak and tweak and tweak. And then now we're eight year, almost eight years into this and 270 people. And we've got, you know, some systems in place over time. And I will say one of the biggest frustrating things is you know, systems also break. You'll put something together, you'll, and then all of a sudden you've added a hundred people and none of them knew about the system and they stopped following it and you have to restart and you have to, and, or create a new system because it doesn't work at scale. But so it's a constant moving target. There's no finish line, but you just constantly ebb and flow. And my business partner used to articulate it. It feels less now this way than it used to, but it's like walking an elephant down a narrow path where you're just like, dodging back and forth and like, oh, no, go a little to the left. No, a little to the right. And you're like trying to like keep it on path (laughs) while it's constantly fucking up. And like that, that is how it felt at times. Now it's a lot more stable now, but that was probably the first six years of business like that. Yeah. Was there a point in your business where it felt like, man, you're, you're chugging along, chugging along. And then there was something in particular that you felt like the rocket fuel hit and you guys were like, boom, it just like connected. No. 
it's it's incremental steps along the way. So it's people think of it as like a, either a cur- you know a growth curve or a yeah. linear growth, and ours was more like a staircase, flat okay. line up flat line up and it's bit different you know it happened every few months to every year whatever that is yeah we'll be stuck at a certain revenue cap and just churning along in there and then all of a sudden boom we'll break through into a new strategy works and it adds another enough revenue to break through that and it's just constantly figuring out what's that next breakthrough you need to have while maintaining all the other shit that you did right right when when growing you know the the company how did you determine this is something i'm always curious about like you know, cause we have a small team, but I'm, you know, right now it's kind of like how I'm hiring people is based off of like, okay, can we afford to hire another person? Like if we bring on another client, then I have, you know, maybe I need to bring on two clients to hire one person, you know? So like, what does that look like? You know, what kind of advice would you give or, you know, experience that you have as far as like growing your team so that you obviously the company can afford it and also, you know, be profitable. Yeah, it's manage your financials. I mean, you got to be a numbers person to run a business and you have to like actually watch like what what is your gross margin on your execution? How much does it cost you to service a client versus how much you make and mm-hmm. make sure you have the right margin and different agencies have different margins. So there's not really a right answer there. It depends on how you operate, but you have to build a business model after a little while. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants. If it's something you want to scale, you have to build a model and project out what does this look like if we're a thousand people, 10,000 people. And then in mm-hmm. terms of hiring, you, you, the more I don't, every agency is different there too. The more predictable your revenue is, the better. And you just have to figure out, like, again, I'm the fan of not hiring ahead. I'd rather teach my people and tell my people there's going to be times where the workload is going to get a little much until we can hire some people to support you versus mm-hmm. hiring ahead and not hitting your targets and now having to fire people. So, yeah. And that's kind of the alternative. So that's, you know, how we've consistently built it is through that is like modeling. And now we have really predictable. Uh, we have very, very predictable revenue and projections and all that. And we know kind of where we're going. So we're able to get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. When you first started, were you kind of like the jack of all trades, essentially? Like, did you kind of just dabble in everything? Or was there a particular medium that you kind of focused on and then expanded as you grew? So very, very early, one of my first hires became my business partner. So he was originally our first fractional CMO. He was the guy that ran the music company for three years after I left was our first CMO because he had run digital businesses, knew how to advise there. Then he quickly became my quote unquote director of operations because he was just managing everyone else because he was on had to report against their work. And so he just started managing the team and basically said, you go grow it, you go get new deals, go be the guy out there building this and I'll be the one that helps on delivery. And that's how we started. And then, you know, he became a partner and then he became a much more significant partner a year and a half later with, when it was like, we looked back and I was like, yeah, no, you've been my partner. And so... Uh, from there, he ba- as he put it, I made promises and he delivered on them. So my job was to be <laughs> out and about all the time. Con- I was at a different event every night. I was constantly talking to new prospects. And in three and a half years into the business, we were, you know, seven million run rate, probably sixty people or something. Hmm. And I was still, uh, I was still driving about eighty-five percent of our sales myself by myself. Wow. Um, and then that's when we transitioned and I started building out a better sales team and figuring out how I couldn't like basically said, I can't be the salesperson anymore. Right. Right. So then, you, Oh, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, I was curious what your um, kind of day to day looks like right now, how your responsibilities kind of break down, how much you get into details with certain clients or projects internally and how you kind of split that time up. 
yeah, I try not to get as much details anymore because I, I've got an incredible executive team. I just brought on a COO two months ago uh, that is responsible for basically managing the day-to-day. And so the um, he's only two months in, four months in with the consulting. And so I'm still staying involved to make sure that he catches things I would normally catch because there's a lot of nuance. But about a third of my time is with that team, you know, on strategy and figuring out like, hey, here's a new idea to how to build out marketing. Here's like figuring out a place to grow. About a third of my time is actually on expansion, M&A, uh, our venture fund, our financing arm, other initiatives in the company, whether it's like new channels we can launch, new territories. I'm looking at international expansion we just opened in Canada. We're looking at China and Singapore and UK and all over the place. So that's a lot of the new exploratory stuff is on me. And then about a third of my time is on uh, like promotional being on a podcast, writing a book, you know, be, waving the flag, beating the drum, basically. That's awesome. So, you know, what's this idea as far as like, you know, how does someone know when they're ready to outsource their marketing? Like, you know, what what happens internally where someone's like, all right, I need to hire someone or bring somebody in? So my view is if you're a brand, you shouldn't hire anyone until you're doing You've got about 10 grand a month to spend on marketing, at least. Because if you, and, and, and consistently, because if not, you haven't built your business yet. And as a founder, you need to be able to get it there. Like, I'm pretty adamant about that. Like, if you can't drive 10 grand a month in profit, you're now, yeah, why, what's that number? Why is 10 grand like, okay, if you can't spend 10 grand a month? It's a round number, but it's a number. Maybe it's nine, maybe it's 11, but it's yeah. a ballpark. And so to me, it's, it's around there that you have enough ammo to actually hire someone and still have some. Uh, have a war chest for them. Because like you hire someone for five grand a month, it's 60 grand person, let's say, mm-hmm. and then you have no other budget. Like what the fuck are they doing all day? You think they're going to do a better job growing than you are? Like you've given them no resources. So, you know, it's somewhere around that 10 grand a month. It's like enough to like start looking at some options. For, and I see a lot of people jump the gun. I have 500 bucks. What? Uh, who can do my SEO? You're not going to get any return. <laughs> for that. It's a stupid right. thing to yeah. do. So take that 500 bucks, keep it in your pocket, go out and sell a few people. Go go make another thousand dollars. If you can't do that with your business, you're the wrong founder. That's my view. And we even put it like when we invest, we look for companies that have gotten to twenty grand a month in revenue on their own before we invest. And so that's that's the first part of that. I'd say you start there. And then in terms of outsourcing versus in-housing, there's three issues with bringing people in-house. Number one, getting good talent. If your company isn't one of the sexiest startups out there or some Fortune 2000 that's amazing. What type of person, you have to be real with yourself sometimes, like who's joining your team? Are they really the best marketer out there that gives you the best opportunity? And my, there's a line I heard a long time ago, if you want to win a Super Bowl, build a team of people that have already won a Super Bowl. Like that's that's a really easy way to do it. You see it in NBA all the time too. Like two championship teams are built by a bunch of guys that have won championships. A lot, mm-hmm. happens a lot. It was the Warriors, it was the Heat, it's I guess the Lakers, like it's all these teams bring in a bunch of people and that's how they do it. So same thing in business. You want to win, get the winners. You see it with the best funded tech companies, the people they're recruiting, their CFO came from this company that IPO'd for this and like they're grabbing right. people that are winners. Same thing goes with your marketing. If you want to be a be a winner, you have to hire people that have won. And hmm. when you're you've got 10 grand a month in marketing spend, who are you attracting that is actually going to be a winner? And that's the problem with in-housing early on in my opinion versus an agency and the, I mean it's a shameless plug, but at the same time, the exact reason I built the company is that's why we're, we exist is 
we've done this. We've taken companies from zero to billions of dollars. And yet on principle and how we've built our agency is we still want to work with up and coming brands. It's fun for us. It's why we exist. Mm -hmm. It's our purpose. And so we, we continue to bring Fortune 500 marketing to the masses in the sense and that that is something that we're not the only ones. And that is something that I think is important. So I think with the right partner, assuming you don't run into the 99 percent of agencies that are full of shit, outsourcing <laughs> in the beginning is probably the move. And then over time, you can probably attract some good people that you can bring some of it in house. And then the, the smartest marketers I know know this is true. And anyone that would argue it, I would say is not a good marketer. It is a balance. It, there is it's not binary. You want some in house and some outsourced all the time. Because we're always going to have a better view of the forest from the trees. We're going to know what's going on in the industry. We have all our benchmarking data and everything that we know what's affecting. We're getting better treatment from all the platforms. We're getting certain discounts that you'll never get. We have certain talent you'll never attract. And mm -hmm. and we're cost effective. Like you're not like good luck hiring one of our email marketers for, you know, under three times the price. And do they really want to come work for your brand if you're not one of the top, top startups out there? No. So these are things that we can benefit from. On the other side, there are definitely things that are better held internally and strategically, and that changes over the cycle of the business. It could be social media management at some points. It could be your email marketing, but not all the time. And it, again, depends on what you're able to attract. It could be your content creation, maybe, if you're a good content creator can get one, because if you can't, making bad content is a waste of fucking time too. So it just depends on your access too, but over time that ebbs and flows and changes. What's the, um, you know, I like average price range to in interact, you know, with an agency like yours? I mean, is there a range from like, oh, yeah, 2000 bucks to uh, $100,000 a month? Like, what does That's that look like? Ballpark. I mean, we have a few bigger than that, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like you'll take anybody who's a good fit, you know, for the agency. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we, on principle, we try not to be the gatekeeper. That's like our, our mission is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. That is what we're striving for is like, how do we make this accessible, but also become the best at what we do. So why I say that is we still need a price accordingly to be able to serve as a client. We still need to do certain things that allow us to also be great, but mm -hmm. we want, you know, that balance of great and accessible is always what we're teetering on and making right. sure that we're all easy to work with and flexible and cost effective. Yeah. Uh, as, I, I was curious, did you get married pretty young or do you have kids? You know, how does that no, Yeah, look? no kids. I met my wife a month after I started the company. Okay. We dated for three and a half years, got engaged after three and a half years, got married after five years. Okay. And so we've been married to almost three years. Okay. But been together and she yeah, pretty supportive no as a partner, you know? Yeah, and, no, I mean, thankful more than supportive. She's, yeah, a She's an enabler in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> She's also a senior exec at a big private equity fund. So she respect, it was always a mutual respect of the hustle, so to speak. Yeah. And she works, you know, at times harder than I do. And I'm still at the company known to be the hardest working guy here today. Like we both work our butts off and enjoy it. Um, yeah. But now working from home is fun because she's like, if I have a 10 minute break, I can walk inside and hang out with my wife for a while. Good yeah. news, we like each other. COVID hit. We got stuck together and uh, <laughs> it's worked out. So <laughs> what uh, it, with, you know, speaking of COVID, you know, how did how did that affect you guys? Did you have a physical location, like a big office and, and, and whatnot? And then how has that affected you and what kind of decisions have you made? you know, to kind of pivot and, and move forward. Yeah. So, you know, we had a mat, we've got a massive office almost uh, exactly a year before COVID hit. Mm. Um, we put millions of dollars into it. It was costing us a million and a half a year to rent plus all the TIs and stuff we had put into it. 
and we went home and left it empty. And after about three months, I saw my team was stressed out because working remote was not a problem for us. Our clients were almost always remote anyway. So it's just like all of a sudden they just weren't sitting next to each other too. And we had to all use Google Hangouts, which we all used all day anyway. So it was like, no big deal. We didn't miss a beat. You know, business was affected slightly in the beginning of COVID, but not really. And we were like, we had a record month in June of 2020. Hmm. So we, we went, we dropped, we dropped, we lost 25% of our clients in April of 2020, but we replaced 10% of those. So we Hmm. we dipped about 15%, recovered in May, record month in June. So like, Hmm. In the time, just to be clear, the first two weeks of COVID were like the most stressful two weeks of my fucking life. <laughs> I thought I didn't know when that bleeding would stop. Now, right. looking back, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Everyone that was going to fire us fired us right away. Right. Most people, it didn't like it wasn't going to trickle in for six months. Like that's not how this was going to work. It was going to be yeah. like shit's shut down, we're done, or not. So I didn't like I thought I wasn't sure if I was seeing a trend or a one-time event, and that's what caused stress. After a couple of weeks. We got the PPP, we did all that stuff, and we were like, okay, we're solid at least for the next three months. Who knows what the fuck's gonna happen to the world, but we're gonna be okay, at least for now. So mm-hmm. once that subsided, then again, July hit, and I was like, well, we're now working remote, fine. Everyone's stressed out about, are we ever going back to the office? When are we going back? So why not make this easy? Let's do a vote. Who wants to go back? 84% said never. And so or that, <laughs> I shouldn't say never, so they didn't want to be in the office even the majority of the time, meaning like we might want to be in an office one day a week. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to own a fucking office. For one day a week. So, <laughs> right. um, so we got rid of it um, and it took us a year, frankly, to get out of that lease. And we had four years left on it. So we still saved three years, which was great savings, saved a million and a half dollars a year right there. Right. Um, so we got rid of that. We uh, and then, you know, I'd say a year later this summer things started to open up a little bit. People started feeling more comfortable. And that's when some people were like, hey, we want to work together more. We want to have a chance to get together. And we were able to secure a deal with WeWork that was really reasonable. And so we got our entire staff WeWork passes. The problem is, and not for WeWork, just in general, when we said, go, you know, hey, we're going remote, do whatever you want. We meant it. But now instead of 90% of our team being in LA, 30% of our teams in California as a whole, the rest is in 40 different states. Hmm. So we're, and in Canada and in China. So, and in Philippines. So there, and probably other places that I don't know about, because I know sometimes I've found out one of our employees was working from Jamaica for a little while. So, (laughs) uh, and by the way, awesome. Like the cool thing is it's exactly as great as it sounds because they're all getting their shit done. And thankfully we work in a business where they've got plenty of bosses other than me. If they're not doing a good job, we'll hear about it. So as Mm -hmm. long as they're doing their work and they're doing a great job, then I, don't, I want them to live well. Go take that. Like my brother is nine years younger than me. And so a lot of his friends are like more of the younger employees at our company. And he was telling me when COVID hit and we sent everyone home, and he's like, you know, some of your teams hanging out at the beach, like middle of the day, just going to the beach. I'm like, yeah. And their clients are happy. So good for them. Go power to them. <laughs> um, and so right. we've tried to create an environment where that allows for all that. And it's, it's been working like our, our employee satisfaction is way up. We've seen way less employee churn this year than we have the past couple of years, which is ironic seeing that the great resignation happened this year. We've seen mm. some of that, but just no. Yeah. But a lot of the other stuff we used to lose people for, like people seem happy. And I, mm. I'm on a lot of calls with our team and they just seem like for the most part, they're enjoying it. And they've now, you know, the people that don't didn't like the change of like being remote and all this have left. And we're even getting more boomerangs, as we call it, than ever before. A lot of people leaving for other jobs and calling us back going, can I please come back? <laughs> And if they leave on good terms, we do welcome it. Yeah. Wow, that's really great. Well, tell us a little bit about your new uh, book uh, that's coming out and uh, what, you know, what it's about and, you know, where people can get it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's cool because I think, you know, 
So basically we wrote a book. We, we have this whole marketing thesis and methodology around how we manage marketing, how we assess companies' marketing uh, that we have been using for since we built Hawk. And we use it for ourselves. We drink our own punch. And it actually has helped me over and over again assess what's wrong with the company and what's wrong with our own company, where the, you know, and then dive in deeper. And so basically just got a, got help from a ghostwriter and dictated and wrote, a, took two years to put together a book of putting all that was in our head and, you know, the methodology we've created and putting it into words. And it's uh, now pre-launched. So Hawk Method is what we're calling it. HawkMethod.com, H-A-W-K-E Method. And for, yeah, the listeners that want to see how we think about marketing, it's helpful. But also for agencies that want to see how to position yourselves in the way you think about things, I think it can be helpful too. Because we've basically turned our marketing theories into now a book that it's being, uh, we've got several universities now picking it up for their marketing majors. Like we've put it out there as a, and it's 200 pages easy read. Like it's a small 200 page book meaning like not a textbook. And so the idea is it's a conversational language. It's easy to read. It's got a lot of narrative. It's in, and it's how to, how we think about marketing from doing, we've grown over 3000 brands successfully at this point. So Hmm. that's awesome. That's cool. So is that um, pre-order? Where can people get it? Yeah. Hawkmethod.com. And our goal is to sell, we got to pre-sell 20,000 copies to guarantee it, or not to guarantee, but to have a solid shot at the New York Times bestseller, which is the yeah. goal. So okay. yeah, we've got till February to sell 20,000 copies. So looking forward to getting them out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's the new, it's the new challenge of the day, so to speak. It's fun. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, Hey, thanks so much for being on the Friday habit. This has been a very enjoyable conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, you know, what we like to do is we kind of like to recap our conversation, uh, for, for our listeners. And, uh, Ben is a, a fantastic note taker. And so Ben, what do you have for us as far as our top, you know, takeaways? Well, you, you interrupted me. I was in the middle of pre-ordering the book, but, um, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll continue after I, I give you the, uh, <laughs> give you the takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. No, it looks awesome. And yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I feel like you had a lot of I mean, you obviously have a lot of great methods that are really working for you guys and for other businesses. So I'm really uh, excited to check out your book. Um, and just a couple, I took a lot of notes. I'll just boil it down here. A couple things that stood out to me. I love what you said that if you don't have difficult challenges, the winds don't feel as good. I.e. if you don't get dirty and cold in the woods, uh, then showers aren't that great. Uh, <laughs> you have to be a numbers person. Uh, you have to be a numbers person to run a successful business. I've seen that over and over. Like the people that really seem to thrive, like love the numbers. It's like a game, and they like figuring out the numbers. Um, you said uh, build a model, then project it out, and project it out to see what it looks like if you get bigger, so you can kind of see if the model that you're creating now is actually scalable, which makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned if you want to win the Super Bowl, build a team of people who have won the Super Bowl before. There you have it. Hey, uh, if you could leave our listeners maybe with one uh, action item, we kind of like to leave people with something. Hey, this next week, focus on this. What would that one thing be uh, that you would leave our audience with? The action item is go figure out what your sales or purchase cycle is. Because I've seen the vast majority of people have no idea from the first time you introduce someone to your brand, they see an advertisement, they come in contact with your brand to the time they purchase. Most people cannot tell you how long that period is on average and is the most important thing you need to know in marketing. Because as you spend on marketing, you need to watch that cycle to actually know what the returns are. You need to be nurturing the people throughout that period. That is literally number one to me is that purchase cycle people miss all the time. People have gotten way too direct response oriented and think that you spend money today, you make money today. So learn your purchase Mm. cycle so you can actually ascertain how things are going. God, it's fantastic. 
All right. Hey, you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com to find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that'll show you how to spe- set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have any questions or a topic you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a quick voice memo and send it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>